You're listening to the NASM CPT Podcast with Rick Ritchie, winner of the Share Care Emmy Award for Social Storytelling and the official podcast of the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Hey, y'all, and welcome to the NASM CPT Podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie, and today, let me just give you a little warm-up, a little brief. So a few years ago, when I was in high school, I had a buddy named Jeremy, and Jeremy was just, and still to this day, is just a different thinking individual. And my dad knew Jeremy because my dad was the vice principal at Jeremy's high school and therefore had run-ins with this fella. And Jeremy and I became best friends in high school. And my dad, speaking of Jeremy, said, trying to talk to Jeremy is like trying to put your finger on a watermelon seed. Every time you think you're about to pin him down, he shoots off in another direction. Well, Jeremy, I see your ADHD and raise you with my new friend, Peter Shankman. Welcome to the show, Peter. Hey, Peter, how you doing, man? There we go. Good. Good to be here, man. It's uh, been a while. Nice to see you again. It has been a while. I think the last time we saw each other was maybe at a birthday party that your daughter was attending a birthday party. My son was attending a different birthday party at Chuck E. Cheese in Harlem. Right, right, right. Yes. <laughs> Random place. That she, she was maybe like four. Yeah, so it's been a while because she just turned 10 last week. Oh, oh my goodness, man. It's been a yeah. long time. Uh, I'm glad to have you. Thanks for thanks for reaching out. We do we do stay in touch on social media a bit, and, and I appreciate that. Um, why don't you do this? For our audience, give us a, a little intro to who you are, what you do, and then we're going to talk about what we're going to talk about. Yeah, I mean, so I have a random a random life. I, I started my career uh, back in the 90s in America Online. I was, I was the founder of the newsroom there, and I helped – create AOL news back when it was, it was when AOL was the internet. And, um, I moved back to New York in, uh, 1998 had no idea why, but couldn't, uh, keep a job. Like I had AOL was great. Cause they let us work any way we wanted. I, I had a blast there, moved back to New York, had a, got a job at a magazine, associate editor lasted a week. Um, got another job lasted two weeks. And, um, over time I realized, you know, some people aren't just are not meant to work for other people. And, I went out on my own in 90, late 98 to start the PR firm. And I remember I told my parents, I'm like, well, I'm going to start a PR firm. And when it fails, I'll get a real job. Um, not <laughs> if it fails, when it fails. And um, it's going to be 25 years this October. I've started and sold three companies, and I haven't had to get a real job. So I've been pretty lucky. Um, I mean, I've busted my ass, but I've been pretty lucky. Um, most notably, I'm probably most, most famous for having started a company and sold it called Help a Reporter Out or Harrow which changed uh, how journalists and sources found each other in the world. And that was acquired by PR Newswire around uh, God, 12 years ago now. Um, since then, I've been consulting and speaking. I, I speak to companies about, uh, about um, uh, customer experience and customer service. But after I sold Harrow, I tried to figure out why I could start and sell companies pretty easily um, and do all these random things, but couldn't, you know, like, take the garbage out or um, remember to, you know, that I had, I, I would book multiple meetings on the same day on separate continents um, at the same time to the point where my assistant, I, I, I came into my office one day and my, and I had no more right access to my calendar. Like I couldn't, I couldn't put any, I wasn't allowed. Um, and so after doing all that, I, I finally got diagnosed with ADHD. 
in my late 30s, uh, early 40s. And I mean, it's is not that like a late it, diagnosis. It was they very late. Like, well, growing up in New York most City, people are really young. Growing up in New York City in the 70s and 80s in the public school system, um, it wasn't ADHD. It was sit down. You're disrupting the class disease, right? And <laughs> yes. you know it didn't exist. And so I always knew there was something different. And as I heard it being talked about, I'm like, yeah, I probably have that. But I, I just got diagnosed to sort of prove a point. Like, yes, okay, everything makes sense now. All of my yeah. success. Um, you know, yeah, I can't remember to take the trash out. Um, and I'm sometimes my there isn't there, but all my success has come from, um, my ADHD as well. Like, you know, normal people don't say, Hey, let's start, um, a company and see what happens, um, tomorrow, you know, and have it up and running in 24 hours, you know, and I did that. And so it's all these things that sort of, that sort of, I learned about, and then I started learning more about myself and realizing that certain things that I do, um, are not just random, you know, and I do them because of what they give a brain like mine, an ADHD brain like mine, which lacks certain chemicals that other brains make perfectly normally. Well, if, if we go back to my Jeremy story that I opened the show with, um, my dad was the vice principal. He dealt with the vices that were yeah. going on ah. in and Jeremy was a vice. Yeah. However, as my dad pointed out, Jeremy's a good kid. Yeah. Like he wasn't mad that I was friends with this kid that would show up in his office on a pretty regular basis. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Jeremy, kid, he's a, he's he and I are friends to this day. But it's the fact that the sit down and shut up disease mm-hmm. is why he kept appearing in my dad's office. Well, I mean, my my assistant principal, I went to high school of performing arts, uh, the fame school, you know, and I got lucky because I knew how to sing. And that um, saved me because all of a sudden I could do something I enjoyed. I could be on stage. People could cheer for me. And, you know, the assistant principal, I remember he noticed once he's like, you never get in trouble in, in vocal. You never get in trouble in music. You never get in mm. trouble in, in, in performance class. You get in trouble in math and in science. Why? Oh, no. You know, well, obviously I know I didn't, my brain wasn't creating enough dopamine to keep me focused in math and science, but in music in performance as much as I need it because I enjoyed it. Right. And so well, those are the things that 20, 30 years later all started to make sense to me. You know, there's, there's a, a I think Dennis Leary did a very funny bit once, a very funny stand up bit about how it's always the wrong people who, um, who, who die of cocaine overdoses, right? His whole thing was like, uh, Metallica could go in and snort 50 gallons of cocaine and come out and they'd write a new double album, they'd be fine, right? But the good people, you know, like the the the, the he's like Len Bias, he's like, all you know, John Belushi, they 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 died, but the, the people you don't want to survive, and so it's sort of the same principle. In, in the, it makes a lot of sense because I, I will never forget this. Um, in the summer of 2000, when I was running my PR firm, I wanted to do something creative. I'm like, what can I do that'll help us stand out among all these PR firms? And I came up with the idea of taking 150 journalists skydiving. And I had never jumped before, right? So it was the first time I was going to skydive. Well, 150 of us boarded school buses and, and on a Saturday morning and, and went to New Jersey um, and jumped out of planes. And out of the 150 people in the – 151 people in the group, 150 of them skydived, took pictures, checked it off the bucket list, were ready to move on. I skydived took pictures, signed up for the course to get certified as a skydiver, right? 
you know, I did, I, I, I used to run to the store for cigarettes. That was the only time I ever ran in my life. And then I ran a 5k and instead of checking that off my list, um, I signed up for a marathon, right? Finished my marathon and up for an Ironman. It's, it's, yeah. When you have a certain, when you have a neurodiverse brain, um, for many, and, and neurodiversity, I should explain it. it. Neurodiversity simply means a brain that functions differently than non-neurodiverse brains, all right? The neurotypical brains. The neurodiverse brain could be ADD, ADHD, autism, executive function disorder, dyslexia, several different things. They're not bad things. They're just different things. And that's a key that we'll get into later because my whole thing is that's to right. make that difference. But, you know, for someone like me who's ADHD, who was dyslexic growing up and, and who is now ADHD, my I, I only have two speeds. There's literally no middle ground. Okay, you 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 know me, dude. You know there's I know. no. Middle, I don't have a middle. I don't have. A, oh, that sounds lovely. No, it's like okay, I'm gonna go to sleep or la. You know. <laughs> and you know, everyone's like, "Oh, did you work out today? Yeah, I did an hour on the Peloton. Oh, that's great. And then I went boxing. Oh, that's great. And then you know, it's like so. But we do that because the high we get from it. Yeah. Um, is what we don't have on a normal, you know, normal people. They, okay, I have to sit in math class. No, I have to sit in a boring meeting now. I'll just psych myself up and get through it. I can't do that. I have yeah. to do other things first. You know, if I have a meeting, I will not go a day without exercise because I, I, I simply, it's God knows it's not to be thin. I exercise because I have no choice. I have to, I have, my daughter at four years old, <clears throat> we're having breakfast one morning. I'll never forget this for the, the day I die. We're having breakfast one morning, four years old. It's like six years ago. And she comes out, she's sitting down with breakfast with me. And she goes, Daddy, were you on your bicycle this morning? Like my Peloton. I said, no, mm. honey, I slept in a little bit. She goes, you're not as happy. <gasps> no. Four years old, dude. No. Yeah. Busted. So it's, it's <laughs> I, it, it is a game changer. I mean, yeah. the dopamine, the serotonin, the adrenaline that it's produced during exercise um, radically changes my outlook, my life, my day makes me a better everything. And I'm sorry. I mean, the one, one regret I have, I don't have a lot of regrets. The one regret I have is I didn't discover exercise uh, until probably my mid-20s, my late 20s. And that was that was a bummer because, yeah. um, you know, it could have started a lot earlier. But we look at numbers, one out of eight people are neurodiverse. That's one billion people in the world that are neurodiverse. And the... I'm not, I should, I'm not anti-medication. Okay. I have a prescription for Concerta. It's a long acting, long extended release, um, amphetamine for the days that my assistant calls me and says, you have five keynotes that you've done and you owe receipts for all five of them for your travel and whatever. And if you don't get them to me, you're not getting paid. Take your goddamn pill and send me the receipts. Okay. I'll do it. But on days like this, when I know I have an interview or whatever, I exercise. I did an hour of the bike, yeah. and an hour of boxing, and and here's where we are. And so there's such a, we're just starting to learn both about the benefits of a neurodiverse brain, as well as some of the benefits that can be used for them, um, such as, like I said, you know, exercise or stimulating things. For me, it's keynote speaking or skydiving or exercise, whatever. Yeah. Uh, let me read this. This is, I, I thought it was a good quote. It came from exceptionalindividuals.com. It says, neurodiversity is an approach to education and ability that supports the fact that various neurological conditions are the effect of normal changes and variations in the human genome. 
ADHD, autism, uh, dyslexia, all fall within the spectrum of neurodiversity and are all neurodiverse conditions. And really one of the things that I've heard people say is that this type of neurodiversity, for instance, ADHD, that is probably considered a problem. Those are air quotes for those of you who are just listening, not watching uh, YouTube, already problem. So it is a problem in current day school and how yeah. that we are taught to learn, the way that we are told to sit down and be quiet. However, back in the day, that was probably really helpful in keeping the population alive. Well, think about it in a couple of ways. <clears throat> the first way is yes, everything that Neurodiversity in itself, I mean, I just read a report from RAND, okay? Mm. A RAND corporation, those guys, right? Yeah. And they literally wrote a 300-page report on neurodiversity in the military and in um, uh, um, the NSA and in, in our, our spying agencies. And they said, if we don't start hiring, if the United States does not start hiring neurodiverse spies and neurodiverse analysts, we're going to fall behind. So, really? Yeah. Yeah, that's an, it's, an, it's available on the RAND website. It's an amazing report to read. That's number one. But number two, you're, you're spot on. In terms of 400 years ago, do you know why? Do you know why today we sit in classrooms with desks in a row, like seven or eight desks in a row, five across, all like that? Why? Because 400 years ago, the schoolhouses were one-room schoolhouses, little red schoolhouses with one room, and that was the only way you could fit everyone in there. OK, yeah, yeah. just because something was done 400 years ago does not. And that was the right way then does not mean it needs to be done the same way today. We have evolved in a lot of ways. The school system, the education system in this country worldwide has not evolved. That's not to say it's not they're not working on it. I've been to some schools recently with my children's book and I'm yeah. seeing amazing things that they're doing. But by by and large, you know, you sit down, you sign seat. If you if you if you are disruptive. That's the killer. If you're disruptive, they put you in the front of the class so the teacher can keep an eye on you, right? Mm. My daughter's school downtown, if you're, if they spot you as disruptive, they allow you to go to the back of the class and stand up or do some deep squats or yeah, breathe yes. or whatever it is to give you a chemical hit. So there's so many things that we can change, but it goes back to the adage of, well, we've always done it that way. And That's they right. don't realize that there is, there is change to be had. And, you know, that's one of the things that I'm hopeful for. Um, that we can, I mean, there's a study that came out of Houston four years ago, five years ago. Uh, it was a university in Houston that they took over a school district. They they changed recess from 20 minutes a day. And this is elementary school. Changed recess from 20 minutes a day to 90 minutes a day. And they changed the breakfast and lunch that they were serving from primarily carbs and breads and things like that to primarily protein with a bit of fat and, and very little carbs. And they saw, I think the numbers, you can find this online, the numbers are a 14% decrease in boys acting out in class and a 17% increase in girls getting involved in the conversation in class because girls present ADHD symptoms much differently than boys. Girls oh, tend to draw, boys tend to act out. And so it was a complete opposite hit. And, and it's things like that, that that show you that, you know, it's not just here's a pill, be quiet. Um, there is tremendous benefit uh, from being neurodiverse. And, and the problem is for hundreds of years or even just the last 50 years, we have looked at those benefits as negatives, right? And, right. oh, your brain is – there's something wrong with your brain. I mean I was told for years I, I disrupt the class. There's, I'm not a good student. I'm this and that. And 
it took me a good 35 years to realize that there was benefit to that. It's not as I'm not as bad of a student or as bad of a human being. And imagine if we could change that conversation yeah. and tell five year olds they're not broken. They're just they just have a faster brain. And that's a good thing. They wouldn't have to be in therapy for 25 years to get over that. Like right. Some of us may have been. You know? right. <laughs> Walk me through what that was like for you then, because I know like there were there were successes along the way but you're still dealing with this like what's wrong with my brain what's wrong with my brain something's wrong with me something's awesome with me but something's still a little bit wrong and then there's something a moment where you're like huh maybe that it's not wrong so i got through high school and college with the skin of my teeth i had a, mm -hmm. I had a professor at a, at a boston university took a chance on me uh, i would knock it in today Right. The, 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 the requirements are so much higher. No way. They took a chance at me and I got through it. Um, I discovered creativity. I discovered photojournalism. I discovered that I could write all those things that, that, that got me through all came from the creative side of me, which is, yeah. you know, what works for me as opposed to um, the, the, the sort of analytical side of me, the math science, which is not my thing. Um, it was difficult and still is because for years, all I heard was, you know, for, look, I had the social acuity of a turnip growing up. I was, I <laughs> did not know when to say the right thing. I did not know. I always knew when to say the wrong thing. It was, it was not, it was not good. And that gets delved into you. That gets drilled into your head and you're, you're in therapy and you're talking about it. I mean, I spent 20 years with my therapist. I've had the same therapist like since like 2003. These guys are awesome. And we spent all this time, what we, 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 we call it trying to kill junior high school Peter. Because junior high school, Peter, mm. um, every bit of success I have now, my first instinct is to think, well, God, if only those junior high school kids could see me now, they'd know that I'm saying, and I'm, I'm wasting it. I'm not, yeah. I'm not enjoying my own success, right? I'm focused right. on those kids. I don't know what those kids are anymore. Who cares, right? But I'm still, I'm still in that mindset, and I've worked really hard to get rid of that. The other side that's really tough is that when you're told that you're broken for so long, you don't assume that you have any talents or that you can do anything well. And so – when I, you know, oh, I sold my company. God, they're going to be really pissed when they wake up and realize that I pulled the wool over their eyes. And oh, the yeah. company was worth this when I can't, I can't imagine it. You know, I, the joke is that every day I wake up and I'm sure today's the day the New York Times is going to have this huge front page article on what a, what a total fake I am, right? I'm, I'm the Elizabeth Holmes of, of marketing and PR, right? And it's going to be totally, <laughs> and of course they don't. And the, well, the reason they don't is I'm not important enough for the New York Times to cover someone. <laughs> like, it just goes on and on and on. Waffle, shut up. It goes on and on and on. And the whole premise behind it is that waffle enough is that it doesn't it doesn't go away. And so you constantly fight yeah. it. And I've gotten better, but imagine if we could start telling five year olds that their their faster brains are not negatives. Get, I'm gonna throw it out the window. Get over here. Their faster brains are not negatives. They're Good. benefits. Yes. You just have to learn how to. Get, if you drive a Honda, if you get your license at 16, and you drive a Honda from age 16 to age 30. It's a lovely car, right? It's a very nice car, but you might have to you have to slam down on the on the gas to get up to highway speed when you're merging, right? If someone takes that Honda away from you and says, "Hey, you know what? You've driven the Honda long enough. Here's a Lamborghini. Have fun," and you try to drive it like you drive a Honda, and you slam on the gas to get up to highway speed, you're going to be four miles ahead of yourself and crash into a tree. You have to learn how to drive your faster brain, and that's something that schools and, mm. and parents and everyone need to understand and start teaching because we're teaching kids the same way. We're yeah. teaching. Kids all together the same way, and we're not all the same. 
Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. So, and and I I look at this in so many different ways, but when I when I take this in light of our audience, the audience here, which are certified personal trainers, mm -hmm. I think about all the times I hear I I can't have a nine to five. Right. This is not the job for me. We've had the number one. So every single class that I've taught, the exercise science classes, kind of pre-COVID that we would teach these workshops for new personal trainers. There was always, every single class, there was an attorney. There was somebody who was like, look, I just need something that's not contract law or whatever, because I'm dreaming of a different life. It doesn't mean they're going to stop being an attorney. It right. just means they needed something else to latch onto. And you and I have talked about this before that you can't always live your dream because somehow bills still got to be paid. Right. Right. But for people who are in our audience, this is the dream. It may not be as dreamy as they dreamt it would be, right. but like living this life, being a fitness professional, so many people in the same situation, executive functioning issues, ADHD, told to sit down, but at least I never got that call. I never got called that when we were in PE. Right. I was right. never told right. that. I never had a problem with that. And so they, they, they kind of lean into fitness as a way to not be stuck in the nine to five, to not be, um, have, a, have fingers wagged at them. Yep. And it is of interest because it's dealing with kind of creativity. I've had so many executive functioning issues growing up. <laughs> never, never did my, my parents uh, have me checked out because the belt and the paddle were great ways of getting your mind to kind of focus, right? When my kids started having those issues, my mom said, I sure do wish we would have gotten you tested, right? <laughs> Me too. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but these are things where I was pulled out of class to go to the special reading group. Yep. I was pulled out. And now my daughter my son and even my youngest one who are our teachers are now going oh he's really smart he's really smart but it's hard for him to stay focused maybe we're like let me stop you right there we've been through it with two other kids we know what you're going to say it's not a problem we'll take care of it but it's understanding that that it's not what's wrong with them yes. it's just their inability to follow the sit down and be quiet. Um, and that always kills me because yeah. when I was given assignments or given projects, I would rock them, right? As long as I was able to work on my own my own terms. I mean, when I worked today, well, they loved me because I, I helped launch that newsroom and they didn't care. It was a digital, it was the first digital newsroom in the world. So they didn't, you didn't have to work the nine to five. Sorry. I'd show up at two in the morning and work till noon and they loved it and I got everything <laughs> done, right? And so yeah, yeah, yeah. it was that, it's that thing that, that again, you're judging if what's the what's the Einstein quote? It, all animals have their own special gifts, but if you judge a fish on its ability to climb a tree, you'll be sorely disappointed. That's right. We are judging kids that standardized testing is one of the worst things in the history of the world because we're 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 judging kids based on their ability to take to re retain information and take tests. When you're neurodiverse, testing is 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 horrible. It's terrible. For, I mean, I used to get. I remember I used to throw up before I had to go in and take standardized tests in high school because I just, oh, wow. I knew I was gonna get distracted. I wouldn't be able to do it no matter how much I studied. And we look at it today, you know, I, I, I was speaking to a school in Wayne, New Jersey last week. Cause my, I, one of the things I'm doing for my kids book is I, I just wanna, 
I wrote the book because I never want to, I never want another kid to have to grow up the way I grew up. And what is the book? Cool. It's called The Boy with the Faster Brain. Oh, I love And it is a children's book full of pictures and illustrations. And it's, it's basically about 10 year old Peter, who's very mm -hmm. hyperactive and keeps getting notes sent home from school until he meets Dr. Lisa. And Dr. Lisa is able to help him learn how to use his faster brain, right? So it's all the things I wish I had when I was 10 years old. But yeah. I was giving a talk, and it came out about a month and a half ago. It's doing really well. I'm really, I'm proud of it. Fantastic. But I was, I was, because, you know, I've written five other books. And so this is my first non-business book. And it's like, it's, it's, it's fun. But I was giving this talk. I'll, I'll go speak to any school, just because I think it's the right thing to do. And I was speaking to a bunch of uh, third and fourth and fifth graders. And one of the kids at the end of the talk, everyone's leaving. This one kid comes up to me and his, his head's down. He's not really looking at me. Mm -hmm. He looks at me and he goes, he goes, I, I really liked your talk. I, I never met anyone like me before who's successful. Yeah, we can give you a hug. <laughs> um, it, you know, so we need to start teaching our children that they're not broken. They're brilliant. Yeah. They're not yeah. broken. They're brilliant. And we need to have that conversation. And so, you know, I'll, I'll be willing to bet, I'll be willing to bet that all those trainers that you talked to who, who did incredibly yeah. well in PE, I'd be willing to bet that they did incredibly well in the classes that came after PE. If, if, if they had PE in like fifth period, yeah. I bet their sixth through ninth period were awesome because they were so full of dopamine and so full of serotonin and so full of adrenaline that they were able to focus. And that's why when I go into a meeting, I hate meetings. I hate meetings with the, with the fury of a thousand suns. But when I go into meetings that I have to do, we all have to do meetings, right? I, if I have a meeting on the 35th floor of a building, I will get off the elevator on the 25th floor and I will walk up 10 flights because something yeah. as simple as a 10, 10 flight walk will give me I enough to get through that meeting. Or, yeah. you know, I'm holding the meeting. We don't have normal sit-down meetings. We will have, I call them Aaron Sorkin walking talks. We will do a West Wing around Midtown Manhattan. And, <laughs> we and we get so much more done that way. Yeah. I, <clears throat> there's a guy in my jujitsu class who teaches English to, to, to people who are learning. Like, you know, the ELA. We're trying to get the English in. But he does it walking in Central yeah. Park. There's not an office. Yeah. His office is Central Park. Yeah. And he walks and teaches English to people who don't speak English that well. And his business is blowing up and he's having meetings with universities and he's talking to them about this walk and talk and yeah. learn. And I think these are super important for people to get. I want to throw out some research here with, um, you know, as any of these podcasts that we do, we're, we're trying to get some research in there. So yeah. this one is by Dan Heigler at all 2017 called sweat it out question mark. And it's a systematic review of literature based on physical exercise and cognition in both children and adults. And what it says is that cardio exercise seems to be acutely beneficial regarding various executive functions like impulsivity, response <clears throat> time, and several physical measures. Benefits, uh, Beneficial chronic effects of cardio exercise were found on various functions as well, including executive function, attention, and behavior. Now, some of this has to do with this like chemical response. Yep. There is a there is a flood of chemicals that start to fall into our body, goes into our bloodstream. The good thing about when when hormonal responses go into the bloodstream, uh, it's the same thing as fear, right? So if I have something fearful happens, it's not that 
scary and you can talk yourself down mentally, but you're still shaking 30 minutes later. Yep. The reason you're still shaking 30 minutes later is that it is a hormonal response. It is in the bloodstream and it takes a while for that to get out of the bloodstream. Rick, I'm a skydiver. Yo, yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so it's not just the moment of skydiving, right? No, no. there is a fear that strikes in the plane. Everyone's like, oh, you over 500 jumps, you probably don't get scared anymore. The hell I don't. I'm falling out of a plane for three miles in the air. Yes, I do. The day I don't get scared is the day I take the plane back down because there's something really wrong, yeah. right? I get scared every single time and that's supposed to happen. It's that. the same fear that stopped us a thousand years ago from having, from saying, hey, I should pet that saber-toothed tiger. It's that exact <laughs> same fear. And so when I land, I bring my laptop to the drop zone and I'll do the first jump of the day. I do an 8 a.m. jump. I'm back on the ground by 8.25. I take my gear off. I throw it in the corner. I pull up my laptop. I write 10,000 words in an hour. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that because it creates the focus. Everything it I need is the right focus. There, 100%. Yeah. Right. And it, yeah. unlike, unlike stimulants of an illegal variety or whatever the case may be, um, where you flood your system and then you crash, you know, dopamine and serotonin and adrenaline, they sort of flood out casually. Right. When yeah. you, when you, I, I've done, I mean, I'm not certainly not a doctor, but I, I, I've dated them. And, and I was, <laughs> one of them told me that she goes, yeah, she goes, someone does a line of Coke. It tells the brain dump every bit of dopamine you have immediately, just everything. Like mm. even the 10 minute reserve you have to get back, that you're only allowed to use in times of war, right? Dump everything. <laughs> and so that's, so when you crash, you crash, right? When I do a jump or when I give a corporate keynote or a corporate speech or something like that, I get that same high, but my brain knows, okay, let's give him what he needs. He did a great job, but we'll keep that reserve on the off chance that his way back to the airport, he finds a saber tooth tiger, right? And so yeah. it's a natural response mm -hmm. versus versus um, uh, a, a chemical response that's, that's artificial. Right. Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking with Peter Shankman. Peter Shankman has written multiple books and one is called The Boy with the Faster Brain. It's a children's book. I've read, was it, is it Zombie Loyalist? Is that the Zombie one? Zombie Loyalist that was my, was my last customer experience book. Yeah. And then I had Faster Than Normal, which came out in 2017 and that started the whole ADHD thing and, and neurodiversity thing. Yeah. Yeah. And you also host <laughs> the Faster Than Normal podcast. That's correct? Correct. We've had over 300 guests, including you. Um, all of whom, most of them have had, have some form of neurodiversity. And, and we're talking like, you know, I mean, no one is as, as famous as you, but we've had like, <laughs> we've had, we've had uh, uh, former secretaries of state. We've had undersecretaries of, of, of the treasury. We've had uh, uh, Grammy winning uh, uh, bands, the band Shinedown. Um, we've had uh, the founder of JetBlue. We've had thousands, hundreds of people on the podcast, all of yeah. whom, have realized that their neurodiversity is a benefit and a gift. And, and they've, and they've shared these stories with how to use it and how they use it and what we can get out of it. And, you know, it, it's, it's the funniest thing because none of these stories are rocket science, right? The exercise story that I tell everyone, I, I go to sleep. When I fall asleep, I fall asleep in a pair of bike shorts and socks. And that's required some explanation when I, when I've been dating, <laughs> but the reason behind it is because if I, when I wake up at 4 a.m. and yes, I get up at 4 a.m. every day so I can get on the bike for an hour and a half before my daughter wakes up, um, any barrier I can remove from me getting on that bike is a good is a good thing. And if I have to, oh, okay, where are my shorts? Where am I? You know what? Oh, the hell with it. I'm going back to bed. No, I'm already in them. All I have to do is move eight inches to the left, and I'm on the bike. 
right? And so it's also why I don't work out at night. When you're neurodiverse, you can come up with any reason in the world to not do anything or to do anything. It's, it's again, it's one of those things you have to learn how to use because I can give you an excuse and I can give you a reason. I can convince you why we should go create the, the next Lufthansa heist, right? And, 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 and you will be on board <laughs> within 30 minutes, right? And then the flip side of that is I can say, okay, you know what? I'm going to work out this evening. Oh, look at that. There's a story about an asteroid orbiting Pluto. You know, just to be safe. I mean, I doubt it's going to hit, but you know, I should go home just to be careful <laughs> and I'll do that. I'll come up with in my head. That's well, yeah. perfect logic. So, so, you know, it comes down to understanding how your brain works. I, I, I stole a line from, from several of my friends who are in re recovery and it's called playing the tape forward. How am I going to feel in 12 hours if I do or don't do this thing? Right. I can sleep. I had nothing this morning before 9am. I could have easily slept in. Right? How would I have felt? Yeah. How would I have felt at 7 p.m. tonight when I'm done with dinner and I hadn't gotten the work in and everything's just been a little bit slower? You know, when you're neurodiverse, I, I told you about those two speeds. It, it, it manifests itself in other ways too. My daughter loves pizza. Who doesn't? She's my kid. And and we used to order in a pizza. We'd order pie, and you know she'd have a slice and a half, and I'd have six and a half, and that is not good. Um, and then I learned about these people who have these dads who, who order pizza with their kids and they, they both have two slices and they put the other four slices in the fridge to have tomorrow. And that's something apparently called leftover pizza. And <laughs> I, I, I've, only, I've heard of it. I don't know if it's true. It's not a thing for me, right? There's a reason that I very rarely drink because it's like leftover wine. It's not a thing. So, so you make these changes in your life. Right, my daughter and I don't order pizza anymore. We go to the pizzeria down the street, and we have yeah. a couple of slices, and then we come home. You know, there Smart. was she had a birthday party yesterday, and and the, we ordered uh, twenty four cupcakes, and there were ten cupcakes left over. And my my ex wife, I'm still very good friends with, but she she's no dummy. She goes, okay, we'll leave them here, and she just bolted out the door. Like, God damn it! And so here I am with ten red velvet double frosted cupcakes that I within thirty seconds took downstairs gave to the doorman and said here it's your lucky Good day for you yeah have, yeah have yeah some cupcakes. because you know i wouldn't eat them at 4 p.m when everyone left no i'd wake up at 2 a.m oh i'm hungry i should have a cupcake for six you know and i would justify it so yeah. so you eliminate the choice right and and that's the key about neurodiversity is is one of the biggest things is elimination of choice um the less choice i have not to work out the less choices i have in my closet i have two sides to my closet they're literally labeled one side says office slash travel and it's t-shirt and jeans. This shirt happens to say feminist dad, right? But t-shirt and that. jeans. The other side says speaking slash TV and it's button down shirt, jacket and jeans. My sweaters, my vests, my three piece suits. My, those are in my daughter's closet in the other room. Because if I had to wake up every day and have that wall of clothing, what should I wear? I should wear a t-shirt. I remember that sweater. Laura gave me that sweater. God, I wonder how she's doing. I haven't spoken her in years. I should look at it. It's three hours later. I'm naked in the living room on Facebook. <laughs> you... <laughs> There's an image. Have fun with that. <laughs> it's true. And so so the, the number one thing about neurodiversity is know thyself. Just know thyself. Know what works for you and what doesn't work for you. It's not a curse. It's not a gift. It's what you make yeah. it to be. 
Well, you talking about putting on those shorts, keeping the socks on, going to sleep like that, that's controlling the environment, setting it up. What you've just done with the closet, control the environment. We talk about this in fitness and different types of coaching environments so that we can get people to adhere to exercise and and, and their, their regimen, creating something, because it's not easy. It's not about, are you disciplined enough? Discipline isn't the answer. The answer is prepared, right? Are you prepared to do it? And are you setting up the environment to be successful? So having the socks, having the shorts on, wake up and just do it. Food uh, prep. I, food prep. Food prep's the same thing. Is it all set up within within the refrigerator? Because Sunday is a great day to, to prep the food for the week. Um, having this kind of neurodiverse brain. When you said it allows you to not do things or do things, right? Now, I'm, I've gotten a lot better, but when it came to writing my dissertation, you have no idea how good I was at doing the dishes and the laundry. <laughs> I did so much stuff around the house. My wife was like, uh, clearly you should be writing. And I was like, ah, you're right. And I have to sit down and make But honey, dishes. look at how clean the dishes are. Aren't you happy that I did the dishes? For a long time, she was like, uh, listen, just... Like, so I, let's keep it as it is. But when you know, Fast the, when Fast the Normal was due at the publisher, um, yeah. I had a year to write it, and um, I wrote. I did all the research. I did all the research. Did everything I was supposed to do, and then um, <laughs> immediately forgot about it. And two weeks <laughs> left. Two weeks left. My publisher calls. Says, hey, check it in. Get about two weeks or so. Get the book. Y'all done. I'm like, oh yeah, no worries. Hang up the phone. Immediately call United Airlines and book a, uh, a business class round trip ticket to Tokyo um, for the next day. I load up my laptop, my charger, uh, sweatshirt, um, and my headphones. And I go to the airport and I get on flight UA 79, uh, New York to Tokyo, and write chapters one through five in the flight to Tokyo. I land, I go to the lounge, take a shower, I have some sushi, I have a cup of coffee or six. I get back on the same plane, same seat. Now it's United, it's UA 78. And I get back on 78 and I fly back to Newark and write chapter six through 10. And I landed 32 hours, 31 hours later with a book. And then I got um, detained by Homeland for six hours because I never actually cleared immigration in Asia. Um, and the best part about that is that, is that they, to, to prove that I was who I say I was and what I was doing, they actually called my publisher, uh, at home at, uh, you know, eight o'clock on a Sunday night. And, um, she's like, yeah, he's, he's writing a book, uh, for us. I'm like, and she puts the phone, gives me the phone. I'm like, oh, thank you so much for telling them. I'm like, they'll let me go. She's like, yeah. So when you said you had the book done, I'm like, well, it's done now. But yeah, and, and everyone thought you're crazy. Yeah. You spent five thousand dollars to go to go to Asia for nothing. And no, I spent five thousand dollars to write a book because it worked for That's me. That's right. Right. Yeah. I knew what I had to do and I got it done. Now I don't I don't encourage procrastination, but in some cases, for me, my my happy place is a gym. My happy place is the skydiving drop zone, and my happy place is a plane and, and the plane and the drop zone. That's where I get the work done. And because I know on for skydiving, I come down, I have the dopamine. On the plane, there's literally nothing else to do. Right. Yes, there's Wi-Fi on the plane, but have you seen that Wi-Fi? It's like it's like shit Wi-Fi. I don't even bother. I get on the plane, I write, and that's it. No one can stop me. Well, when you said um, there was a kid at the elementary school that was very delighted that and 
that he had never met anyone successful that was like him. And, and this is why I think your podcast is important because there are a lot of successful people. There are a lot of successful people with neurodiverse brains. There are a lot of people out there and maybe even more so um, when it comes to like, what is the percentage of, of successful people who own and run companies yep. that actually have neurodiversity, it's because there's this impulsivity that says, look, I need to make some wise decisions. However, I can't keep living my life like this. I've got to do this. Right. right? And, uh, and, and there are a lot of people out there like that. There are a lot of people out there like you. And I think people need to know that you exist. I think it, and it's, a, very kind of you to say, but B, I think as important, if not more so, at the end of the day, you have all these. He, dog he, is he, neurodiverse he, too. No, well, that's a given. I mean, my dog, duh. But um, <laughs> he walks, you know, he walks around all day. Ooh, what's that? What's that? What's that? But no, it's, it's <laughs> dogs just in general. I mean, just in general, I, I am the dog from up. So it makes sense that I have the dog from up. But it's, you know, squirrel. But I, I think that the key thing that people need to understand about neurodiversity is it doesn't mean we're constantly looking for something shiny. It means yeah. that we're looking for ways to continually give ourselves the dopamine we need so we can be more productive than you and we can be more creative than you. And we can, you know, I, I, I gave a keynote to Morgan Stanley last week that was that was um, satellite fed to their 80,000 employees. And it was basically a conversation about neurodiversity and, and how to A, work with neurodiverse staff and more importantly, why it's important that you do, right? And what you could do... Uh, to, to make them feel more inclusive. Because here's the mm. thing, um, in the workplace, this is huge, and this is what I'm getting calls now more than anything to talk about, is workplace neurodiversity. Have you ever heard of something called curb cuts? No, so what's that? There's a, the theory, you'll love this, you love theories. There's a theory called curb cuts. And the curb cut theory, which has been proven out, so I don't know if it's still a theory once you prove it, but it's a, it's a thing. And basically, at the end of World War II, about 600,000 injured soldiers came back to America. After, after the war, and they were in wheelchairs, they were on crutches, whatever the case may be. Every town in the country, by order of the president, was directed to create curb cuts on the corner of every street, the little ramps oh, that yeah. exist today um, that allow you that allowed injured veterans to get up the ramp, to get onto the sidewalk easier. Prior to World War II, there were no cuts in the, in the curbs, okay? Well, what happened? What do those curb cuts do? Well, they certainly helped 600,000 injured veterans. You know who else they help? Pregnant women, old people, delivery boys, young people, mothers with strollers, you name it. It was a, a gift to one segment of society or a concession to one segment of society that helped every segment of society. And yeah. so when you look at neurodiversity, you know, the concept of giving someone uh, permission to wear noise canceling headphones that then doubles their productivity in the office, give everyone that permission, right? And yeah. see what happens to productivity. I worked with a company about six months ago who was bringing people back to the office after being, you know, remote for two years. And <clears throat> they were getting a lot of pushback from everyone, but especially neurodiversity, the neurodiverse uh, uh, group, because of how well neurodiverse people had worked during the pandemic. They were yeah. off the charts productive. And so what we did was they had a, they had hot hot desks where you basically you choose whatever desk you want you go in you plug in your laptop you work there for the day okay, okay. so they they wanted to have people come in three days a week so we created lights above every desk red yellow and green and when the person sat down at the desk 
They could choose which light. Red, don't bother me. Yellow, bother me. If it's important, green, I'm open for anything. Okay. And executives, the executives were afraid that they would just, everyone would just be red for three straight days. So they didn't have to be bothered. What ended up happening is almost everyone was red the first day. By the second day, 50% of the people were yellow. By the third day, 75% of the people were green because they were so much more productive that first day when no one bothered them. Ah. More productive the second and third day and actually be open to ideas and open to brainstorming. Productivity has gone through the roof in this company. And so it's those kind of open your mind to thinking about what you can do, right, for one segment of your workforce that benefits everyone. Oh, man. All right. So let me do this and then I'm going to let you go. One more piece of research you're going to appreciate. Zoo at all 2023. It was a comparative effectiveness of various physical activity interventions on executive function and other related symptoms in children and adolescents that had ADHD. So there was open skill activities, which you could just kind of walk around the fitness facility and do whatever you want. And there were incredible benefits for those with executive function issues. The subgroups were this, where it was just people who wanted to do um, uh, open skills, right? So again, anything you want, which improved inhibitory control, closed skills. Let's close it off. This is what you're supposed to do. It was dominated by aerobic exercises, and it had slightly higher probability of being most promising physical exercise intervention for working memory. The multi-component physical activities, uh, which were cardio and, um, and resistance training, were most effective with cognitive flexibility. Regarding ADHD-related symptoms, closed skills activity dominated by aerobic exercise might be more advantageous for hyperactivity and impulsivity, inattention, and improvement. The overall thing was physical ex- exercise and uh, can significantly help people eliminate the symptoms of ADHD, improve executive function in children and adolescents with ADHD, most of all, to promote adherence to treatment. They should be encouraged to perform the physical exercise they enjoy the most. And I think that we all know that. Like, let's stick with what we will do, what we enjoy doing. But all of these provide benefits in so many different ways. How does our brain work? How do we create attention? And what you mentioned several times, here's the exercise at physical activity, PE. And then here are the, the classes that you do afterwards that you because perform it goes back to what, in. It goes back to what you said. The stuff is in your, in your bloodstream. It's not just dissipating. It's not just disappearing. It takes time. That's right. You know, there's, I, I, I'll, I'll give you a story about this. There's a, there's a cop who I know, I've, I've met him uh, several times, unfortunately, uh-huh. who um, <laughs> who hangs out at the corner of Route 44 and 55, uh, right outside of Gardner, New York, because that is the only exit to Interstate 87, that um, or 84, the New York State Thruway. It's the only exit from the skydiving drop zone. So he uh-huh. just waits for people who have done their first tandem jump to drive home. And he just fills his ticket quota one day a month because Stop. he just waits. And he, you know, I'm like, and he knows the people who are driving home are high as a kite on dopamine and serotonin. And they're going to be flooring the no way. No way. That's brilliant. That's not. I'm not right. going to be brilliant. Years ago, but I got nailed by him after my first jump. And and, they, <laughs> and we all, everyone at the at the ranch would always go, okay. By the way, when you head home after you jump, make sure you keep it under 35 on this leg of the road. There's going to be someone waiting for you know, and like clockwork. So oh, it was it's, wow. again, it's because we're so high as a kite, right? In a good way. Yeah. What can we do with that? And that, that is where exercise plays such an important oh, role. 
such an important role. I mean, I, I mean, you used to train me for God's sake. The difference between when I'd come in in the morning and I'd leave yeah. was palpable. You could see it. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. You were one of the one of the first people I trained when I was a, a trainer. We were at New York Sports Club at Lincoln Center, 62nd like between Broadway and it, it definitely was it, was that or more. Uh, <laughs> it was a long time ago. I've got great memories from it. Um, and I've it's been a delight to to see what all you have done. Uh, if you would share with our audience your your socials, sure. uh, books that are applicable, anything like plug your plug, plug, plug away. Um, I'm at Peter Shankman on all the socials. My website is shankman.com. My email is peter at shankman.com. I answer all my own emails. I'm not allowed to book my own calendar, but I do answer my own emails. Um, the latest book is called The Boy with a Faster Brain. You can find it on Amazon or anywhere that you buy books. It's great for kids age four to 12. The precursor to that was Faster Than Normal, which was all about using your uh, ADHD or the, the gifts of the ADHD brain to increase your productivity. So it's for people with ADHD and without. Um, and yeah, I'm always up to talk about this stuff because I think that it is a conversation that needs to be continuing to have and may being mental health awareness month, nice little bonus there, but yeah, I'm, I'm all about, all about chatting anytime. Very good. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for listening. Peter, thanks for being here with us. Uh, like, subscribe, share with your fitness friends and family. And if you've got questions, you want to reach out to me, you can hit me up at rick.richie at nasm.org or hit me up on Instagram where I'm most active at dr.rickrichie. Thanks for listening. This has been the NASM CPT Podcast.